0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Queens of the Bees, your favorite queer movie and TV podcast I was two. I'm your co-host, TJ, the ever sprightly, overwrought, just a total basket case. Let's just stop right there and just be upfront. I'm a basket case that is all there is to it. <laughs> I'm a Pisces, so that goes without saying, so those kind of things go together. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Aaron. Who is a person who co-hosts the podcast with you (laughs) i always like to see what (laughs) what thing he'll come up with what banal way he'll come up identifying himself in case you have not listened to this podcast before which if you haven't welcome he is an aries and you all know what that means anyway but we're also almost in pisces season so that's exciting by the time this podcast airs we'll be like right into it so i'm just saying prepare yourselves for what that's gonna entail Aaron's like I don't know anything no idea he's like what is even happening right now (laughs) but we all know that this is really a queer astronomy or sorry astrology podcast so anyway what movie are we talking about today
1: uh, we're talking about the movie *Close*. It's a Belgian production from 2022 that's getting a lot
0: of buzz. It is. It is, in fact, the um, be- Belgium. It was Belgium's official entry to the Academy Awards, and it is now in contention for Best International Feature. Which, obviously, I will be cheering for this movie. But given my past record of movies that I like being not winning the international oscar i'm not very optimistic so
1: you just cursed this movie
0: (laughs) no i was hoping that maybe if i say it out loud that it will actually come to pass Ah. like if i speak of the curse then maybe i will inadvertently bring about the reversal of the curse have you seen how curses work i mean you're a more logical sort than i am do you even believe i don't in mess curses? around with curses that's just too much playing around well that's true you are catholic so <laughs> you know, superstition plays into that i suppose but anyway what's this movie about
1: um it's about two skinny
0: belgian children running around <laughs> that is that is a very apt description of what it is about but to elaborate a little bit for those who have not seen it and i will go ahead and say at the at the opening it goes probably goes without saying but there will be major spoilers so if you have not seen the film i recommend that you do so and then come back because we're going to spoil the whole plot and there's a couple of really big things that happen so this is your fair warning please leave if you that. have not seen it because i'm really going to spoil a major thing and it will shock you if, if you have not seen
1: it yeah so we will pause for you to stop
0: listening Okay, the pause is over. (laughs) (laughs) This is a podcast you can now pause and resume when you've seen it. So, assuming that you've seen the film, you know what's coming. So, when the film begins, Leo and Raimi are best friends. They have a very intimate relationship. I don't mean sexually intimate. I mean just emotionally and physically intimate. Um, Unfortunately, they have to go to school. And as one would expect when they go to school, two boys showing affection you know, cuddling with each other and so forth <sighs> leads to the usual, like, questions of are you two together and, you know, you know, vague insinuations of homophobia. Leo decides that he doesn't want to sort of contend with what that will entail, so slowly starts to distance himself from Raimi. Raimi obviously finds that devastating, and then after a school trip upon which Raimi has been missing, it's revealed that Raimi has actually taken his own life and the rest of the film is Leo's attempt to come to grips with what that means and his his own perceived culpability for that event. And as well as his sort of engagement with Raimi's mother, with whom he also has, has a really, really complicated and emotionally deep relationship. So obviously this is quite a difficult film to watch, but I think it's quite beautiful. It's quite evocative. I think it's very emotionally rich and textured uh-huh. and see these are sort of my film review op- opinions about it um and i really was quite struck by just how affected i was uh-huh. you may f- this may surprise our viewers but i did not cry during this film i was stunned he was stunned he kept looking over at me like where's the tears where's the <laughs> where's the emotion and it is true that for the first like 15 minutes or so when we have these images these kind of halcyon images of bucolic like images if you will of Raimi and leo and i'm sorry for the overwrought vocabulary but <laughs> <laughs> if you've listened to this podcast before you know that's what you're in for and i think this film kind of invites that yes. kind of it gets one of those artsy fartsy fancy pantsy films yes um of a very particular european bent like you'll know within the first like five minutes that you're watching an art house like european movie like mm-hmm. you just know that but anyway. I did not cry, but I will say that, that as I thought about it and as I sat with it in the hours after I watched this film, I found myself being more and more affected. And I put it to my friend that I was talking with about it this way, it wounded me too deeply for me to cry. And I think that that is a pretty apt description of what this film does to me. Yeah. Um, and I like movies like that. I mean, I love to cry and I love movies that make me cry. But in some ways, I love these kinds of films even better because they really sort of show us what queer film can accomplish. Like it can really sort of make you sit with your feelings in ways that are sometimes uncomfortable, but in a productive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find
1: it interesting that you you called this sort of queer film, because I think that's sort of a question for this particular movie.
0: It is the question. It is, uh, you know, I actually, when I drew the notes for this, I put this at the end, but perhaps we could just sort of open because it is the sort of big question hanging over this film to some degree is, is it queer? And I think it is in a way. Um, I don't know that these characters are queer. At least I don't know that Leo is queer. I'm fairly certain that Raimi, at least at some level, recognizes that he has feelings for Leo, which is why the separation is so devastating for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that Leo's feelings are complicated because I think that, you know, when you're 13 feelings are always complicated i mean they're always complicated but they're even more complicated before you have the adult apparatus with which to figure Mm -hmm. them out yeah so which is why it's so important i think that the film opens with their open and intimate relationship because they haven't yet entered the world of like social relations i mean presumably they've been in like grade school yeah but middle school's different it is different (laughs) and I think that that's why the film is so effective in its first, what, 15 minutes maybe where we see them playing the kind of make-believe games that 13 year olds play. We see them sleeping in bed together. We see Leo comforting Ramy and sort of helping him sleep. And like, these are really richly drawn and intimate moments. And I think the camera captures them very effectively by sort of showing us in this idyllic space of the country. Where they don't have to deal with all the things and complications that come with adolescence. Mm-hmm. I know I haven't answered your question of whether it's queer or not. Yeah. I, I see you looking at me expectantly.
1: <laughs> so, I was waiting for there to be an answer in there and there wasn't, so I'll just push it ahead. Anyway. <laughs> <Okay>. So, what's <laughs> what you, you think? And say, so I actually think it's interesting uh, to read the movie with Remy being straight. <laughs> Uh, and then again, to read it again with him not being straight, but also that again, to read it yet one more time, not really thinking about that, to just sort of leave the friendship at the level of the sort of innocent child type, child-like mm. friendship, and to see how the different readings compare to one another.
0: Yes. I mean, because I do think that the film is multiplicitous, because I think it has all of those readings. I think mm-hmm. that it invites and allows for all of those different readings. Because I mean, if we read it as Raimi being queer and then having his feelings rejected by Leo, it it makes Leo's culpability and his taking his own life more evident. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's not, as in Rami himself is not queer, then I mean, but it still shows you the power of of young male friendship and how toxic culture is that it forces yeah. people to fit into molds that. It, they don't necessarily want to fit into
1: and i feel like that's that's the reading that i tend to prefer for myself mainly just because i've seen so many of these you know sort of tragic queer Mm -hmm. love stories you know since i started looking at these kinds of movies way back in the 90s um that i don't need another one of those stories i actually think it's more interesting to look at this depiction with the kids With either sexuality being sort of irrelevant to their Mm -hmm, childlike mm -hmm, friendship mm -hmm. or to them being straight but having their friendship constrained by homophobia in this way because it reveals the perniciousness of homophobia for everyone Mm -hmm. and why that system doesn't work for anybody at all. That's as opposed to it just being a system that works against certain
0: folks i mean i will actually i I would say yes that is the reading that i would prefer i think it's the more interesting reading i think it makes it a more interesting and productive film Mm -hmm. to think of them as being victims of homophobia even though and i i would even i I would agree with you that maybe even the question of whether or not they're queer or homosexual can be just bracketed out for the moment that's not to say that 13 year olds can't feel desire or Mm -hmm. can't feel queer feelings because i know i certainly did Mm -hmm. which may explain why i had so many feelings about this movie. Um but I'm not sure that these particular character I'm not sure that's relevant to these characters. Exactly. I think that what's really relevant is their friendship, Mm -hmm. like and their emotional bond. And it's complicated and I think that what this film speaks to, and I think the rush of some critics to see them as queer as we would imagine it Mm -hmm. is our own sort of pervasive and perhaps American specifically American. But I think it's Mm -hmm. Western, generally speaking. And
1: and I'd say that because, to be fair, it's worked into the movie because that's how the issue comes up in the story is that the other kids in Belgium start asking this. So it's not, we can't just blame Americans. That's fair. That's true.
0: I I guess I would just say sort of like Northern European. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. understanding that or inability to imagine two people being intimate without being sexual yes. or romantic yes it's very and it, we see this in various ways it's very difficult for today people to think about a man and a woman being sh- just simply platonic friendship mm-hmm. and i mean that both in a cultural sense like it's very rare to see those phenomena in popular culture and when mm-hmm. they are they usually end up together yep. as what just happened in the new film your place or mine mm-hmm. very, which I liked, but I was a little disappointed because sometimes it would be nice just to see a guy and a girl be friends, friends yeah. without the romantic plot. Like, mm-hmm. cause I think that it's just very, it just doesn't make it easy for people to live and make friendships when that, yeah. when they're always being expected or being pressured or being asked, when are you going to get together with so-and-so? It's as mm-hmm. if we just can't, our brains can't wrap our head around the idea that people might be able to be intimate without being romantic. Yep. And I think it's really important to sort of drill down and, mm-hmm. and, and sit with yep. that complication. Exactly. Cause I think that, you know, one can be deeply physically intimate with somebody and like touch is so important in mm-hmm. this film. And like, I think that's why it's so important that the early parts of the film really show us how comfortable Raimi and Leo are with one another. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we see them in bed and then of course, to them, it just feels natural. Like okay. it's just part of who they are and how they interact with each other. It's only when they go into the social spaces of high of middle school, which I mean, middle school is fucking awful anyway. And it's uh, this is part of the reason why is because it forces people to fit into the social models that they may not be necessarily fitted to.
1: Yeah, and I'm to I'm trying to think of aspects of life where that doesn't happen. Are there places?
0: No, but I guess what I, you know, I think that middle school is one of those places where it's kind of like, a, where the the social dynamics that we all kind of live with are sort of both solidified and sort of microcosmed. Like that's mm-hmm. where there's, you it's such an interesting object of study.
1: Yeah, Whereas I feel like it's just sort of like, it's... It's the same sort of social organization that we see everywhere else. You just right. have a bunch of kids at a weird phase of life yes. trying to go through it. And I mean, I
0: do think the film captures really well. And I think that um, the young man who plays Leo, whose name is Eden Dambreen, really captures how difficult, uh, you know, the sort of difficult, yes, but also just kind of complicated and messy adolescent boyhood can be. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at 13, boys are, you know, starting to feel things and, you know, your hormones are running haywire and you're trying to adapt to the new system of, you know, of middle school where things get, you know, even more complicated than they were in grade school. Mm-hmm. And so I think that he captures so well how one particular boy could kind of grapple with what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that Gustav, De, I think it's devale uh, who plays Remy, who is only in the film for like 50 minutes maybe, also captures something very different there's something much more shy and Mm -hmm. sensitive and artistic about him that is captured very eloquently yeah and i think that part of and we're never really given a diegetic explanation for why he takes his own life i mean the implication is that he did it because of of leo's rejection but that's not all of it i suspect is it well that's 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 the thing that's the ambiguity and i was going to say that he may be one of those people who's who in some ways is just the world is just too much mm-hmm. that's the feeling that i got like yeah. for not to say that artistic people are necessarily more prone mm-hmm. to to taking their own lives but mm-hmm. i'm just saying that like that's the the implication yeah. i think that the film repeatedly draws attention to mm-hmm. um go ahead
1: yeah whereas i was going to say i feel like the the although we, of course we ne- we never know when someone takes their own life we never really know why that's a question that we always ask but it never really has an answer so, right. But that said, in trying to figure out what the movie is saying about why uh, Remy would end his life, it doesn't tell us. And I love that it doesn't mm-hmm. tell us because it's interesting for me to watch the movie and talk about it with other people to see what they say. Because people, I feel like, will always impose their own reason mm-hmm. onto that because the movie's so silent on it. Like how you've been, you've said now a couple of times, you know, you know, it seems like he took his life because... Leo sort of rejected him in some way or another and I'm like interesting that that shows that the the idea of this being a potential love story is sort of centrally you're thinking about the movie whereas for me I think if I think about it as uh Remy taking his life because of the uh say the specter of homophobia and not not knowing how to deal with people asking these kinds of questions about him. Then that question of sort of love and romance isn't really there. Right. It's about possible societal rejection as opposed mm. to romantic rejection. Right.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's true. I guess what I was getting at it's not necessarily the romance plot that would motivate his suicide, but instead like the how devastating friendship ending can be mm-hmm. when you're not when you're young and you don't necessarily have the apparatus to really grapple with that. Mm-hmm. It may seem that you're that there's no way out. Yeah. I guess that I was getting at. Like I think that it could be true even if we don't assume that there's romantic feelings between the yeah, two of them.
1: Exactly, cuz then if it's if it's not so much about his sort of like his romantic feelings being rejected, but the friendship sort right. of being ruined or whatever.
0: Right. And you know, Peter Bradshaw already in the Guardian really had a powerful way of putting it that he says, that, you know, the end of a friendship is devastating. Mhm. And I thought, which is, I think, the the point of view of the film, certainly, mm-hmm. and also very true. Like, yeah. any of us who have endured a friend breakup, like, there isn't even a term to define this phenomenon, knows how wrenching it can be. Like, mm-hmm. it feels, in its own way, almost as bad, if not worse, than a romantic breakup. Mm-hmm. Because friendship means something different than romance. Yeah. And in some way, and that's to belittle romance, obviously, uh, and not just because, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a romance partner, but friends are the people that, you know... Are, I, how do we explain it it's you know friends are the people that you can turn to whenever you, even your romantic partner can't be there for yeah, exactly. you and yeah. so like to lose that is really truly obliterating and
1: i think the other thing that makes it sort of weird which i've i love that the movie gives us this because it's given us this reason to discuss friendship in this way is that there's also the thing that i always think is weird with the idea of a friendship ending Mm. Because romantic relationships have to end for all kinds of reasons that friendships don't need to end for right it's like for most of us, if we are somewhat traditional in our thinking with romance, it's like you get one romantic partner now I know there are lots of other ways that folks can do, can do that sort of thing in life, but most people tend to think that way that right it's like you can kind of, you can have one romantic relationship at a time, but you can have friends, and that romantic relationships require a sort of constant engagement that friendships don't have to have. You know, It's like you can kind of move away, come back, hang out with friends. In ways that romantic relationships we don't often think about them working that way. And because of that, friendships don't have to end in the same way. And so when thinking about Remy and him thinking about the possible ending of his friendship with Leo, as an adult I'm looking at this going, your friendship wouldn't even have to end, even if you sort of grew a little bit apart. That doesn't mean the end of a friendship. That's kind of just part of growing up. Right. But, of course, thinking about that as someone who's still a kid, you may not understand that. It might seem like this is the end, not just of my friendship, but of the world. Right.
0: And, I mean, I think that this is part of the reason i really really loved this film and and kind of needed to sit with it a while is because i think that formally and narratively it is just so effective and efficient at what it sets out to do mm-hmm. like it's really quite remarkable how much it accomplishes in those what roughly 50 minutes before raimi takes his own life like mm-hmm. you know roughly the 10 to 15 where we see their effortless bonds, the sort mm-hmm. of you know the moments when they're running through the fields of flowers i mean it's a little bit on the nose sometimes yeah. but it, but it's feels authentic and not contrived which mm-hmm. is nice but even whenever the the, the breach starts to happen mm-hmm. like it's it delivered so effectively both because of its performance but just because of the way it's staged like we see those moments where for example Raimi wants to lean on Leo while they're at school like Leo's laying down and Raimi wants to put his head on his lap mm-hmm. like he normally does but he moves away yeah and, like it's those small little gestures and then those things like where where Raimi comes to watch Leo at f- hockey practice and then Leo just sort of turns away from him. Like those moments seem so small, but they are delivered so f- effectively that you mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. Rami's despair and yeah. like you feel it building. Like when he starts crying at the breakfast table, you know, and it, he can't even put into words what he's feeling. All mm-hmm. he can say is I have a stomachache. Mm-hmm. It's quietly devastating. Like it's truly just you, cause you feel the agony. Of losing your friend Mm -hmm. and then when they have their big blow up at school like where they start fighting Mm -hmm. like it's the only way they know how to express their feelings for each other it's even more devastating because then one of the teachers is like Raimi it's over. Mm -hmm. Which of course she doesn't mean their friendship but in hindsight that seems to be what it's delivering. Mm -hmm. So I mean at a formal level I I thought the film was really quite striking how effective it was in capturing that those experiences yeah
1: i don't know i still felt like there was way too much of skinny child running around (laughs) but (laughs) i can accept that given all of the other stuff because yeah i do think this is a very well-made film
0: right and i mean i will say that you know for the first 15 or so minutes and i alluded to this earlier i could feel myself getting overwhelmed like emotionally big surprise i know you know but once Raimi, who is basically my my character surrogate, dies, I, I took a very different approach to the film just because it switches gears so abruptly. Because mm-hmm. I have to say, I did you see that coming? Because I certainly didn't see that no. coming. I mean, when we get back from the school trip and we see like you know the school teachers being like, "Let's go to we, let's you have to your parents are here. Let's go to the gymnasium." I was like. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when the feeling of dread started to settle in. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what do we make of that? Because it's a, such an It's a brave turn to make, I think, for a film to kill off one of your two main characters mm-hmm. roughly 50 minutes in. Yeah, yeah. Um...
1: Ultimately, I liked the choice because it got me to think I was expecting something very different. I was thinking maybe it was going to be some story about uh, maybe Remy's character sort of getting sick or something Mm. like that. And then having that be the thing that sort of affects the friendship. I didn't expect him to just be gone. Right. (laughs) Uh, But that said, once that choice was made and then the focus becomes on... How Leo sort of deals with the loss and all of the feelings around and all that. Uh, I liked it because I think had I gone into it knowing that that's what it was going to be, and I probably wouldn't have watched it very carefully. Right. But since it's what I was left with, kind of all of a sudden, I liked it because, in a sad way, that's kind of how these things happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Unlike in movies, in real life, there is no warning for a lot of things. Right. And so, just as audiences, we were kind of shocked. That's how it would feel for the people experiencing something like that. It would come out of nowhere.
0: Right. And I mean, also that sometimes there's not an explanation. Like, I think that we as people, and I think cult, pop culture tries to assuage our anxieties about this. We don't like ambiguity. We don't like not knowing. Mm-hmm. And But sometimes you don't know why someone makes that choice. There is, In this case, you know, there is no suicide note to let you know why this person did this thing Mm -hmm. and for you know it's wrenching for Raimi's mother and i want to get to her in a moment but it's wrenching for leo too because he wants to understand well he wants to understand but also he's trying to grapple with his own sense of culpability Mm -hmm. i mean and that's a very heavy emotional load for a 13 year old Mm -hmm. like it's for anyone but particularly for a 13 year old who was already dealing with a lot of other complicated and emotional stuff. Yeah. And I th- like I said, I think it's to the credit of Eden Dembrine that he's able to capture so much of that and show us, you know, the sort of what's going on behind the eyes, mm-hmm. as it were. Because, I'm, you know, I'm struck by, you know, after Raimi's death, you know, Leo kind of leans into his hockey practice um, mm-hmm. and there are so many interesting, narr- like, editorial choices where we'll switch from, like, moments of quiet contemplation to, like, his brutal life on the ice as he's kind of like losing control of his body to some degree well you know because he's trying to skate but he's falling down like, mm, there's that mm. one sequence where he just keeps falling down repeatedly and yeah. obviously it's kind of bearing that symbolic weight of the guilt kind of literally weighing him down yeah but i will say that what i also appreciate I and mean, there's also the moment when he wets the bed so there's like a literal like physical incontinence that's being engendered by all of this But I will also say that I do appreciate that the film gives us the opportunity to have his closeness with his brother. Mm -hmm. Like, they have a physical intimacy that kind of doesn't take the place of what he shared with Raimi. But I was glad that it showed an older younger brother dynamic that Mm -hmm. was, you know, physically intimate in a way that we don't often see in the movies. I mean, I have no siblings, so I don't know if that's how it really works, but... It can. I mean, I don't know. You're the you're the one who has an older brother. Did yeah, that Did that read as authentic to yeah, you? you're
1: stealing from me. That was gonna be my deep cut. <laughs> oh well, then I will sa- I will
0: save that for later then, because I do like as, as I said, I think that is a really obviously the raimi Leo relationship is the most important one in this film. But I did appreciate that we got to see his relationship with other people, mm-hmm. uh, particularly his brother, and that his brother comes to be for him the kind of person that. Um, he can really rely on yeah so to some degree his his mother too and even his father but it's really his older brother i think he, he sort of fills in for raimi mm-hmm. so um let's talk then a little bit about raimi's mother because i think she's also one of the other key players in this drama yeah. um and she's played by um emily Duquesne. um and her name the character's name is sophie And so, you know, from the very beginning of the movie, it's clear how much she cares about Leo. Like, Mm -hmm. she calls him the son of her heart, which I was like, wow, what a beautiful thing to say to someone. And and I think, you know, she really cherishes Raimi and knows what kind of a sensitive boy that she has. mm -hmm. And it's interesting that the two of them, once Raimi takes his own life, they kind of, Leo and Sophie, kind of like, are on parallel tracks they mm-hmm. they they are dealing with grief in their own ways but they can't quite communicate with it, each other. exactly. And there's a couple of scenes that sort of bring that out. There's a scene at a music recital because we've already seen Leo watching Rami's performance. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is a space that has a lot of significance. And then there's one of the shots I kind of call it the european shot like it's a an edit where you are seeing Leo's perspective as he's looking at someone else and the camera slowly mm-hmm. zooms into Sophie. Like European directors love that kind of thing. It seems like it's very effective. I mean, cause it does mm-hmm. show you like he's yearning for connection Yes, and, 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 and as he would obviously, cause Sophie is the last kind of re- remnant of, of Raimi that's still in the world. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, and he, wants so badly to be able to communicate and speak to her about what's happened Mm -hmm. but it's the one thing he can't really bring Mm -hmm. himself to say exactly and i mean i found those sequences to be haunting because they capture so effectively how awkward it must be to try to like grapple with your feelings but also your inability to put those feelings into words Mm -hmm.
1: yeah
0: so what did you make of sophia this is the leo sophie dynamic i love how it
1: brought up that the question of you've got these two people that love very much love the person who is no longer there (laughs) and how do they get on because as you pointed out uh starting out we see early on how sophie has embraced you know leo as remy's friend uh but of course maintaining that is tough through the grief (laughs) and i love that the movie gives us a little bit of that uh when they with that sort of inability to sort of meet one another and discuss what's going on to really get at it because that's hard enough anyway, no matter what. But again, you've got these two people that loved this person and who had a bond and they had to bond themselves together Mm -hmm. before this. But these kinds of tragedies kind of mess everything up and make everything more complicated. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see that in a couple of key scenes. At one moment, Leo goes to to their house because from what I can tell, spatially speaking, like they're basically separated by like a stretch of woodland, I mm-hmm. think. So he goes over to Raimi's house for basically the first time since the event. Second time, I guess. The, mm-hmm. But the first time in the house since the event. And he goes to Raimi's bedroom and he's kind of like, you know, revisiting this space that he has been, you know, so intimate with before. And then, you know, Sophie comes in and she says, you know, he didn't leave anything. Like, mm-hmm. I looked everywhere. Like, she basically has torn this room apart trying yeah. to find some clue to what happened to her son. And even at that moment, she wants to know like what happened between you two mm-hmm. and Leo still can't quite bring himself Yourself, yeah. to say it. And it's similar to the moment when she comes to hockey practice and he similarly can't bring himself mm-hmm. to say it. And part of me was like, dude, just say what you have to say. But then I was like, this kid is 13. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing I had to keep reminding myself. And I, again, the performance is so mature yeah. that I, I'm almost like, come on. But of course, you know, you're 13 years old, your best friend has just taken his own life, like, and, you know, his mother is, like, what, twice your age, you know, three three times your age? Of course you're not gonna be able to find the words to speak to her. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the film very effectively captures that. Yeah. And it also effectively captures, like, Leo's frustration with all the sort of rituals of grief. Like, we mm-hmm. see, you know, the funeral, we see the moments when the school counselors are like, Well everyone talk about their feelings? Which, are valid. Don't get me wrong. I think they're mm-hmm. valuable and valid and very good. But for Leo, they just don't f- satisfy because really? you know there's that moment when one of his fellow classmates says that Rami was happy all the time, mm-hmm. and Leo's like, "Well, clearly that wasn't true." Yeah, <laughs> um, and it would be very frustrating and in, in, in infuriating in some ways if you're already contending with the enormity of your own guilt and grief to have other people speak about someone that you knew better than anyone, Mm -hmm. but yet you distance yourself from him. Like, that's a really complicated emotional moral territory to kind of traverse exactly and i think one of the things that makes it
1: so difficult is hinges on the one of the last things that you just said was that the frustration at having somebody else talk about somebody that you knew better than everybody else except clearly you didn't Mm. that i think is the thing that really makes it so hard because i feel like when i watch the performance that the actor's giving uh, who's playing the part of leo there is this underlying sort of sense of i didn't know Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a very hard thing for anybody to sort of accept about anything that we don't know anything, but to realize that there was something going on with your best friend mm-hmm. that you didn't know. Right. Like, talk about the guilt that people feel. That's at the heart of a lot of the Right, life. and of
0: course, you know, being 13 and, you know, being, you know, a young person, you naturally believe the world revolves around you. And mm-hmm. so, of course, it makes sense that he would internalize this whole guilt and say, it's my fault. Like, mm-hmm. I'm the one who pushed Rami away, so clearly that must be the confluence of those two things makes him feel as if he mm-hmm. has done that, which is why he's so desperate to forget about everything, yeah. like into to throw himself into hockey, to do all the things that he could, can do, but ultimately they prove futile. Yeah. And the one thing he feels like will give him peace is to tell Sophie the truth, mm-hmm. which he finally does by by going to her place of work, mm-hmm. which she's kind of like, Leah, what the hell are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as she's driving him back to his home, like that's when he says, you know, I had I distanced myself from him. And then she's like, get out, which, you know, if you're a 30, if you know, if almost 40 year old woman, you probably shouldn't tell a 13 year old to get out in the middle of nowhere, but they mm-hmm. end up reconciling. And it's, you know, it's a pretty powerful moment that when the two of them are finally able to meet, Mm -hmm. and set aside and then very shortly thereafter she moves away and leo has like one moment where he looks back at their empty house and Mm -hmm. then the film ends so you know there is that sense of closure and but it's also just like i know that we're meant to believe that leo will be okay you know because he's already sort of there are many moments when he's having fun with his friends and so forth yeah but it's also just like, wow, what a, a tremendous burden for this young man to have to bear with in the rest of his life. Like, the, it, the film left me feeling very uneasy, in a good way. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that, you know, that was the thing that I was sort of stuck with at the end. That even though there is that measure of peace, that it, you know, there's been a lot of sacrifice. hmm um, yeah. So I want to just talk about this film. But like I said, formally, it's very sophisticated and lovely to watch like it's a film that really calls attention to itself at a formal level mm-hmm. i thought of terence malick is probably the director i'm most associated with this without all of malick's sort of self-indulgent philosophical maundering yeah. meanderings like i it was a much more tightly focused film than anything i think malick's ever done which i very much appreciated um, I do think that maybe part of the reason that I didn't like weep at, at this movie in the way I expected was that it does sometimes I feel like keep you a little bit at arm's length mm-hmm. like because of its formal precision and yes. because of just how artfully constructed it is. I think that it's not the kind of film that necessarily wants you to weep or you know get caught up in your feelings. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think that's what allows it to kind of get in your brain and stay there. Yes, exactly. There's
1: nothing excessive about this movie. Right. It's far more restrained in its approach than, I think, you know, I'm trying to picture an American director telling this story, but keeping it so restrained. And, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like it would be a big mess. I can't... I'm trying to think of a director who would do it differently. Yeah,
0: yeah I was going to say, there's not really anyone... I mean, maybe Terrence Malik. Malik's American, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe Malik, but he would be... It would be This movie would have been, like, two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. And there would have been clips of, I don't know, outer space or yeah, dinosaurs exactly. or whatever. Like like, whatever happened in Tree of Life. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, this movie reminded me of a little bit, but only in the sort of, like, abstract, philosophical, rich, like textures of the film mm. but because of the, i mean even though it is emotionally distant that's not to say that it doesn't have moments of emotion because clearly the characters feel very rich and deep wells of feeling mm-hmm. um but it's also it's almost documentary like in it's yeah. in it's a way that it approaches its material not a bad thing but as i said it's kind of that european abstraction a mm-hmm. little bit which you know they're not quite as touchy-feely sometimes, as we Americans are. Yeah, and there, again, is a lot of that
1: sort of languishing on moments of feeling, which is the kind of thing that I, when I'm working with my students, I often encourage them to try to avoid, because showing someone feeling something is a very difficult thing Mm, to do. It asks a lot of the actor. (laughs) Yes, and it takes a lot, and it's not just sort of performance. It's also just some of the the gifts that the actors are born with. Uh, You know, looking, if you look at the cover art for this, you can see that the young man that plays uh, the part of Lee is like he's got the kind of eyes that just sort of draw you in. You either have that or you don't. You <laughs> know, so you know, as of course, as a director or a casting director, you cast for that sort of thing. But then you sort of leave it to that person and hope that it works. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a risk to take, right? Uh, because a lot rides on these very minimal moments, and mm-hmm. if they don't work, then there's nothing to the movie,
0: right? Yeah, I mean it's funny that you mentioned the poster image because there is something very I'm thinking about the Northern Renaissance paintings in particular mm-hmm. like the arresting way that many of the northern masters I feel so pretentious right now um, you know the northern painters like Rembrandt and so forth mm-hmm. like there's a piercingness to his Im- to that image that captures the film in general Yeah, and because the film relies so much on visuals and with very little diegetic or extra diegetic music and very little dialogue surprisingly mm-hmm. like it relies a lot on Perform, uh, and like facial gestures and performance on the visuality of the fields that they're running through on those kinds of moments that are not as emotive as we would expect in like an American movie where that would come to bear the weight of mm-hmm. the story. Instead, all those other more abstract, less in your face yes. explicit things. And I think that that takes like very precise and you know intelligent filmmaker Mm -hmm. to do that well and he does it. i have to say that um lucas don't does it does it it very well Mm -hmm. so lastly i wanted to and this was how i originally intended to begin this discussion but i'll end it here instead because i did want to put this film in conversation with luca yes which is its most immediate counter like counterpoint because i think that they're both doing very similar things yeah they're
1: both animated features about
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if you haven't seen Luca, it is basically what this movie would be like if Pixar had made it. Yes, <laughs> um, in set in Italy instead of um, instead of Belgium. But it, it struck me that it's part of a conversation that's being had right now about what Boyhood looks like or should look like, mm-hmm. and what the relationships among young men should be yes. like or can be like. Yes, Luca obviously is a lot more optimistic than close, mm-hmm. um, but I think they're both highlighting the emotional intimacy that can emerge with young men that is ultimately thwarted by social forces of some form or another. Mm -hmm. In Luca, that takes the form of like a quasi romance with a girl. Yes. Um, And this obviously it's the forces of of homophobia that lurk at the background, but are very rarely made explicit. Like they just kind of intrude at random moments, a sly aside from someone Mm -hmm. the way that the young girls ask them if they're together. Mm Mm-hmm. Raimi of course is kind of of cagey about the answer because I'm not sure either because he thinks they are or because it doesn't matter like it's because they haven't even thought about it why would they think about it
1: exactly and even then that would be sort of an awkward question you know if she was asking him about a girl right because again 13 years old
0: (laughs) yeah so I mean I think that both Luca and close and I think that's why it's so important to think of them as queer not queer as in like sexy queer i mean queer is just sort of disrupting the notions of what we normally expect heterosexuality to look like because mm-hmm. heterosexuality to some degree is premised on the idea that men are competing with each other for women therefore it's if they are friends with each other they must by definition or if they're intimate with each other mm-hmm. let me put it that way either in- emotionally or physically then they must be gay like mm-hmm. you can't which of course is a gross overstatement and not really how men behave at all But there's still that cultural fear of Uh the specter of homosexuality. Yes, And that's why I think it's so important. You know, we began at the beginning, as one does, (laughs) (laughs) saying that, you know, maybe it's more fruitful, if you'll pardon the pun, to see this film as not about two gay teens, but as just two young people who are intimate with each other. Uh Because I think that that is more productive and can be very helpful for addressing homophobia which is yeah. so often premised on the fear yeah. that you know men have of being intimate with each other yeah you know, and, that's what i
1: was saying before yes yeah.
0: Yeah, so, i mean i think that in that sense it's a cautionary tale about the costs that homophobia inflicts on everybody both mm-hmm. straight and gay like as you said at the beginning and i think luca has a similar message and i think that this is good i think mm-hmm. that it's very valuable for us as a culture and but yes i mean both the u.s and abroad to say that you know it's okay mm-hmm. if young boys touch each other in a non-sexual way. Like mm-hmm. this to be, you can be close with someone without being sexual. Yeah. And I think it's very hard for Americans, because Americans have this weird thing about touch. I don't understand mm-hmm. it. But, and I think that films like this can really help address that. Yeah,
1: and there's something else about this movie that I was thinking about before when we were getting ready for the podcast. I was like, what are we going to talk about? Uh, One thing about this is that this movie carries with it a particular burden that every movie that's about young people has in that it presents perspective on young people's relationships, but of course it's on stories written by, created by, Mm. managed by people who are already adults. And so, you know, everybody working on this movie behind the scenes is someone that's already a grown-up, right? (laughs) And so it ends up being a sort of adult person's perspective on what these young boyhood relationships might be like now based on what we've thought about those kinds of things based on our own upbringings. Mm. But of course, times change. (laughs) I wonder what... Young people who were like thirteen years old now. I wonder what they think mm-hmm. if they were watching this movie, looking at that friendship, looking at the you know the questions coming from other people. If they would have the same kinds of concerns that the characters themselves have, because of course the characters are creations of grownups. Right. They're not actual thirteen-year-old boys today. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I would be curious to do a little study about that if I was an academic, because mm-hmm. I think that is. Because, you know, the ubiquity of queerness is, in this case, a double-edged sword. Like, the, the awareness that young people have of, of queer relationships is, in this case, a double-edged sword. Yeah.
1: And that's the thing that makes me wonder. Because, of course, we know that homophobia still exists, obviously. Right. But I wonder, since it's just sort of taken as a given here, I wonder how young people, you know, middle school age people would think about that. hmm now would they be like that's kind of weird to just assume right that kind of homophobia or would they be like well of course you would assume that kind of homophobia. that's what i see all the time (laughs) (laughs) yep yep yep
0: well i think that's a good place to stop we've covered a lot of territory in Mm -hmm. this discussion so we'll be right back to do our two favorite segments deep cuts and are you even gay (laughs) So, since we're still on the, the the topic of the film, we can do deep cuts. I'll let you go first, because I always hog the attention when it comes to deep cuts, because I'm an emotional mess. So I'll let you speak a little bit, because you alluded to it earlier. So I will let you take the spotlight.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's see here. How Will I languish or will I thrive in the spotlight? Let's see. Uh, so, deep cut for this movie. Again, there's the relationship uh, that Leo... I'm sorry, that... Uh, Yes, Leo has with his brother, right? Is it Leo? Mm-hmm. Uh, that has with his brother Charlie, is that the name? Um, let me double check. Uh, and as uh, TJ was saying... Yes, Charlie, yep. yeah. And as TJ was saying, he doesn't have a brother of any kind. I've got a brother of the older kind. Uh, and so, of course, anytime I'm watching a movie like this where there's a character who has an older brother, I'm always watching to see what that older brother, younger brother dynamic is like because that's the thing about being the younger brother is that you've always had your older siblings (laughs) and so you always do that kind of comparison and what I personally felt most touched by in this movie more than anything else was the sort of almost silent way in Mm -hmm. which Charlie you know comforts his younger brother throughout that process of grieving and of course it comes where there's you know it's when they're shown early on, they're shown to have a, a decent brother relationship before, but of course the focus is on the friendship between Leo and Remy. And then when you see when Remy's now gone and Leo's left to grieve, how his brother sort of defaults mm-hmm. into that role of support. And I just want to give this as a shout out to all of the big brothers out there who do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Lord knows my brother has done that many times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just something that, of course, you know, being a guy who has an older brother, it's just the kind of thing you just get. Right. And so for all of us younger brothers who just get it, maybe think of this as a reminder to, to give your big brother a call <laughs> and say, thanks for being there for me.
0: Oh, I love that. As an only child, I did not have that relationship, and most of my older cousins were guys, but not of that sensitive sort. So mm-hmm. I don't have a comparable story. However, what I do have is a comparable relationship with my own best friend at 13 and still today. Um who I really appreciate his presence in my life. And I will say that thankfully he did not reject me in the way that Leo does Raimi, which, for which I'm very grateful. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's something really kind of extraordinary and magical about 13 year old friendships. Like, especially if they're ones that you've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, when the opening scene is of Raimi and Leo kind of playing imaginary something like warriors or whatever you know it's whatever that is um you know which is a little old to be playing those kind of games but i liked it because i was also playing those kinds of games with my best friend when we were 13 and so i thought that there was something uniquely powerful about that and very resonant and i think that again to go back to what we were saying when we concluded i think that society doesn't do anyone any favors when it tries to force friends apart in Mm -hmm. that way and i'm just really glad that the specters of homosexuality that certainly haunted our friendship didn't end up forcing us apart. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's part of the reason I had to really sit with this film because I expected it to be my story but it wasn't. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a surprise in a good way. That I, you know, I was made to think about this film in a way that I was not expecting going in. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'd only read obviously the snippets of criticism in most of the reviews kind of avoided the spoiler of Raimi's suicide. So anyway, thank you to Roger, my best friend when we were 13. Thank you for not rejecting me. He probably isn't going to listen to this podcast, but (laughs) in the event that he does, I want him to know how much I very much cherish our friendship at the time, and I still do. So that's my deep cut. Nice. So now we can move into are you even gay. So Aaron turned the tables on me last week mm-hmm. as he is wont to do. Yes and now it's my turn to turn the tables back. because I, I don't know what you're talking about. So I have two uh, well, the first thing I'll talk about is the Grammys. Now I will admit that I did not watch the Grammys, so See? I can't but no, but, to... <laughs> but did you know that the Grammys marked a very significant moment in terms of representation? Uh, I did not listeners i don't know what to do with this man sometimes like he is so
1: i love him dearly but did a black person finally win best r&b album
0: (laughs) (laughs) no but a openly trans woman did win an award kempatris do you even know who kempatris is I do not. I, I will be, to be honest, I don't know that I've ever listened to very much of Kim Petris's music, <laughs> but I know the name anyway. But she is a young trans woman who did win a Grammy with um, Sam Smith, who themselves was queer and, you know, um, non-binary. So that was quite lovely. Now, she is not the first trans woman to win a Grammy. There was another artist from the 70s who was living as a woman, but had to pretend to be a man and had not come out publicly at mm-hmm. the time. So I want to make sure we acknowledge that. But it is a real kind of moment of important representation that Kim Petras won this award in the year of our Lord,
1: 2023.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to ask Aaron, are you even gay?
1: I mean, I, I would like to say that I am, but maybe I don't deserve the title. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I just now today, February the 13th, or sorry, the 12th, watched Magic Mike for the first time. So, yes, I mean... That was me passing out, folks. Yeah, in case you didn't gather that that was, you know, what he was doing. So, you know, we both have some reason to um, believe that we may not be as gay as we would like to think that we are Mm, yeah
1: i think we we both need to improve here we do yeah um i mean i need to
0: clearly listen to more of kim patrick's music Mm -hmm. um and one quick thing before i forget wendy carlos is the act is the singer who won or the performance artist who won the grammy before Mm -hmm. back in the 70s so i just want to give credit where credit is due because you know we're always about the first so you know it's kind of fetishizing Mm -hmm. but while we're on the subject of trans rights i just want to remind everyone that in the aftermath of um you know all the anti-trans bigotry that seems to be ubiquitous in our culture at this moment and apparently Mm, this moment (laughs) well even more than usual and that there is a new i guess it's not new but it's on twitter so i don't know how actual real it is but there apparently some the lgb movement like that wants to just focus on the lg and b i guess and uh, yeah. but uh, i say all this just because you know obviously kim petrus's win is a really big moment of visibility and triumph for us as a community mm-hmm. and i just feel the need to we re- to assert in case it were not clear already that we're all in this together that any efforts to throw the tea under the bus is not only shitty mm-hmm. it's politically futile because it is not going to win you any credibility with conservatives because i will hate to be the bearer of bad news but they hate you too mm-hmm. they do not like the l's the g's or the b's they see us all as perverts so there's mm-hmm. no way you're going to get any kind of street credibility with conservatives i'm just going to put that out there yep so i mention all that just because it's one of those things that crops up on the top of the socials sometimes and I just feel like we at Queens need to make it clear that we stand with all people in the alphabet, regardless. Yep. As, as unwieldy as the alphabet may be sometimes, it's still important that we all hang in this together. Because we either sink or swim together. Yep. And that's just the end of it. But thank God, as I said, that Campetris won, that Sam Smith was, is doing great things with visibility. So there is celebration. And obviously, it's a great time for queer representation of mm-hmm. all, in all its various guises. So let's keep pushing for that. Definitely. All right, well, give us one more moment to refresh ourselves and we'll be right back to give our little farewell address. A little benediction, if you will. <laughs> all right, well. As you all know, I'm basically more of a rose, so if I part- you must pardon my overwrought and delicate elocution, but be that as it may. <laughs> <laughs> we do want to thank all of you for listening to Queen's of the Bees. We're very happy to be back with you in the year of our Lord 2023, producing great new episodes, we like to think. As always, if you have a few moments, please do rate or review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, I know it's probably Apple, but you know wherever you are, And please do, you know, if you have a few moments, give us that extra little bit of commentary. We do read it. Um, I really appreciate when people give us reviews, especially if they're positive. If they're negative, I think I can take it. I'm I'm making my commitment in the year of our Lord, 2023, to be able to take the negative criticism. Just please be gentle. It's my first <laughs> time. So, you know, if you <laughs> if you have any constructive commentary, please, um, Jarrell. this is sending to Jarel particularly. <laughs> if you have any constructive criticism, then feel free to share it. Nice. Um I can't say if that's actually honest, but once it starts rolling in then we'll see how mm-hmm. I, i'll revisit this in about six months
1: you, you can send the criticism to me still yeah
0: <laughs> we can still send it to aaron so again please do that because it really does help us build our visibility and for a little podcast like ours that sort of you know it's the little podcast that could every little bit helps so aaron where are you on social media (laughs) uh
1: what is this social media that you speak of
0: (laughs) lord love him and i really envy his lack of social media presence it's quite must be quite a lovely existence that you lead to not have to deal with the bullshit that comes up on twitter i spend an inordinate amount of time of my life falling down twitter rabbit holes i don't recommend it anyway so if you want to follow us on social media you can follow queens of the bees on instagram at queens of the bees just all one word um, if you want to follow me personally, which why wouldn't you, you can follow me on Twitter at TJ West 3. I'm currently private because I'm on the job market, so I have to keep my a little bit circumspect, which I'm not very good at doing. So if you want to follow me, just look me up directly and I'll follow you back. You can also follow me on Instagram at Thomas West in the number three. And if you want to see a little or read a little bit more about what I've been doing as far as writing goes, please do visit my subsect newsletter, Omnivorous. Where you can read a lot of my writing, a lot of which is about gay stuff, because I love the gays, and I love being gay, and I love doing things that are gay, even if I'm not always as gay as I should be. He really,
1: really does love
0: being gay. I do. I really love it. I wouldn't, as I once said on Twitter, I wouldn't trade being gay for the world. But anyway, I think that's all we have for this week. It's been a great episode. I'm really glad we talked about Close, and I really enjoyed getting to dig deep into this film. Mm -hmm. So for Queens of the Bees, I am TJ. And I'm Aaron. And we will talk to you next week.